Binge the full week of The Ray Taylor Show ad-free over at InspiredDisorder.com slash plus. This is The Ray Taylor Show. Welcome to The Ray Taylor Show, where I bring you the reviews of the latest movies and TV shows, as well as classic and foreign films. I'm your host, Ray Taylor, and on this podcast, I'll be talking about all things film and television. Whether you're looking for a new show to binge or want to know if that blockbuster is worth the trip to the theater, or just want to hear my thoughts on a classic or foreign film, I've got you covered. So join me every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for new episodes, and let's dive into the world of film and television together. On today's episode, I am finally talking about uh, this past year, 2023, the newest installment in the Mission Impossible franchise, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. I have been waiting patiently for this movie, it finally, uh, well, it's probably been on video on demand for a while, but I noticed there was a sale where this was less than $10. I don't remember if it was just $9.99 or something lower than that, but regardless, I already own all of the other Mission Impossible films on Apple through Apple. I buy all my movies through Apple because that's just where I buy them. Uh, regardless... I own all the other movies in this franchise, which I love, and I've done a previous ranking of which, so I purchased this movie so I could watch it, finally, so I could watch it. And I heard some things, uh, but this movie that I'm talking about, directed by Christopher McQuarrie, also written by him, uh, as well as Eric Genderson, Genderson? Gendrison. I'm so horrible with names. I apologize. But the stars of this film, of course, Tom Cruise. You have Haley Atwell, Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg, Rebecca Ferguson, Vanessa Kirby, Asaya Morales, and Palm uh, Clementif played, who I love in this movie, and played Mantis in the Guardians of the Galaxy film. She's great in this movie, though. Probably, she's definitely funnier in Guardians, and uh, she is terrifying in this movie. Which, this movie, Ethan Hunt and his IMF uh, Impossible Mission Force team must track down a dangerous weapon before it falls into the hands that are wrong, the wrong hands. You gotta get this before it gets there. The MacGuffin, get the MacGuffin before the bad guys. Overall, I had a fun time with this movie, uh, as I do with every single Mission Impossible movie, even the ones that are quote-unquote bad movies, which I think some people think this, the second uh, in the franchise was. But I gotta say, that second film, I re-watched so many times in my 20s on DVD because it was just so much fun. Definitely the most stylized version of the franchise. And John Woo has a very unique style. I've recently watched a lot of Indian films. There's clearly, I think, the Indian cinema, especially the action genre in India, is like big and over the top, which the second one is very much that big and over the top, overly romantic. The second Mission Impossible film 
could easily have been directed by an Indian filmmaker, although it would have ended up being three hours long. But it has that energy. So if you're a fan of Mission Impossible 2, go check out like RRR. Check out the movie I'm reviewing on Friday, Leo, that came out this year, 2023, which there's a few. It's not the animated one from Adam Sandler, regardless. I love all of the movies in this franchise. Franchise, franchise. <laughs> what is this called? Uh, and like I said earlier, I ranked the entire franchise last year, I believe, uh, which was kind of difficult because they they blend together. I'd almost like to re-record that because I have a feeling I got confused on what which movie was which. Regardless, I ranked them. And uh, when I saw this one was available, saw it was at a uh, had a deal on it. It was at a discounted price. I'm like, well, I own all the other ones. Might as well add this to the collection as well. Um, you know, uh, I would have to, as far as how I would rank this compared to the other films, since I have ranked the entire franchise, watched the entire franchise recently and then rank them you know i think i would have to to get an accurate position it would definitely be on the list of five this being the seventh film in the franchise um i think there are probably at least two movies in the franchise that i would consider less than this one this one might be on the low end to to mid of the uh mission impossible probably in the whole franchise this is probably like right in the middle i would say so you know to say it kind of in a mean way this is the most mediocre mission impossible film in a franchise that is far better than most other franchises in general let alone action franchises which there are some pretty amazing action franchises that we are existing in right now in addition to this some are kind of crazy and share similarities to this like you have the fast and the furious franchise which in this movie kind of almost feels like they're going fast and the furious like they're leaning into humor they're leaning into even more over-the-top kind of action sequences in this one. There are some things that are cartoonish in this. Uh, so in some ways, Mission Impossible might be following that trend of, you know, lean into the fact that we're still doing this thing, which is very similar kind of plot devices in order to have really interesting and elaborate set pieces so i enjoy that i enjoy all that stuff um what i don't like is that this movie is part of another trend of part ones whether it's this the spider-verse movie even the first dune film and you look back, even like uh, the second Matrix film did this same thing, where it's a part one of two movies, and the first part like has like a cliffhanger 
in some ways. Like, it's unresolved. This is not a self-contained film. It feels like when I was a kid, renting VHS tapes from Video Depot, like Braveheart, and for those that aren't aware of what it was like watching long movies in the 90s, they were came on two VHS tapes. There's not enough tape in the VHS for a movie like Braveheart. So what would happen now and then when you had to go rent a movie from a store, sometimes you would only get one of those VHS tapes, which literally happened when I watched Braveheart for the first time, rented it from Video Depot, heard great things about it, right? Fan of Mel Gibson, at the time, the Lethal Weapon series, epic. Right? He directed this. It's being nominated. I got to watch Braveheart. Right? And what happens, like, halfway through that movie? It just goes to black because I was watching tape one of a two-tape situation. But I only got tape one. That is technically the person working there should have known Braveheart's a two cassette two tape situation maybe they were new who knows maybe they were just high i either way i ended up watching the whole movie but that's what it feels like watching these part ones you got all this kind of build up all this kind of setup unresolved some movies do a better job. This one definitely felt more like a chapter one of a two-chapter thing, right? The first chapter was doing the thing, getting the thing that they needed to get. And then the second chapter is about what are they going to do with that thing. Which I don't know if that's a spoiler or not. Try not to be spoilery. But... So, it, but it still is like unresolved, S similar to you know the Spider Verse movie, which was like amazing. But that feeling of like Dune, amazing. But that feeling of like this feels like a part one. This feels like the first VHS tape of Braveheart. And for anybody that's seen Braveheart. Watch the movie, and then halfway through, just stop it. And then, in the case of Mission Impossible, wait two years before you hit play on Braveheart again. Or in the case of the Spider-Verse movie, I mean, that's going to be two years. The uh, Dune movie, two years. Or, replicate my situation watching Braveheart, Watch Braveheart halfway through, hit stop, and then it probably took a few days before my mom would take me to the video store when we were supposed to return the thing, and I get the second video, second cassette, and then watch the whole thing. I probably, what I did, and what I will probably do when this sequel to this movie comes out, and as well as the Spider-Verse movie, as well as Dune, 
I'm going to rewatch the first VHS tape and then put in. So I'm, in essence, watching. I'm going to be watching all these movies twice when the part two comes out. But it feels like that the worst thing that could happen when you're renting a, a VHS in the 90s as a kid that didn't have a car of his own. I was like, oh, I got to wait to see how this ends. I got to wait to see the end of Braveheart. I got to wait to see the end of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. I got to wait to see the end of Dune. I enjoy a, a movie that's part of a franchise or a trilogy where each movie feels like a self-contained movie. That is one aspect of the Star Wars franchise, at least, you know, the original three, not a, a franchise that is high highs and low lows. But at its core, each film kind of stands on its own. It's not just, none of those movies feel like the end of the movie is just like very unresolved situation. So, anyway, not a fan of the two-part system. (laughs) <laughs> the two-part system and the the trend which i think this movie because of uh i think a lot of people who go see movies in the theater are just like well i'm just gonna wait for me i'm not gonna go to i would love to see this in a theater although my home situation is close to a movie theater so i didn't get to see this in a theater which i would have loved would have been it's an added experience but am i going to pay theater prices i'm going to drive to a movie theater pay theater prices to watch this movie once or am i just going to wait a few months like i did buy it on apple and now i got it for like seven bucks ten bucks whatever it was far less than i would have spent at a movie theater i'm watching it on a projector and then when it ends i'm like well you know, I'm closer. I don't have to wait as long till the sequel comes out. But anyway, uh, but aside from all that, aside from my issues with part one, I being a part, a part one, uh, I don't think it ends as frustrating as some of these movies do, but it definitely feels like a part one. So aside from all of that, I would still recommend it. Obviously, if you're a fan of the franchise, you probably already saw it in theaters. But maybe if you've been holding out because it's a part one, you know, I'd say watch it. It's not as much of a cliffhanger. It is kind of self-contained. It, it's, it's definitely chapter one of a two-chapter thing, at least a two-chapter thing. Like it's, there's no resolve. They just completed a step in what needs to happen. Which every Mission Impossible movie is a series of steps that need to happen for a thing to get accomplished. So, you know, fun though. You know, I'd also recommend it just to anybody who likes action films, right? Because of course this has got great action set pieces 
stunts as well as you know fighting sequences and things so i would recommend it obviously it's great um but i think I, i think i agree with a lot of the general dislike of the idea of this part one part two crap it's like make a movie because sometimes these sequels don't get picked up i mean i i don't know of an example but like there was no guarantee there was going to be a second dune movie and because tom cruise does all of his own stunts there's no guarantee that they will finish shooting this next movie there's no guarantee and then we're just and they're planning on changing it anyway which kind of sucks right if they don't continue this story and it just goes somewhere else it's going to make this movie be the worst this would i i would this would be at the bottom of so many people's lists if they just ignore where this movie was going and don't continue it and just never do it again but like removing like if they change the next movie and it's not chapter two of this two chapter thing it's not going to do them it's not a good move for them it just it will make one of their movies and their franchise horrible because if that's the way it ends because it's not an ending let's take a short break from this episode Listeners, if you're an art lover like I am, or simply somebody who appreciates unique creativity, I've got something you'll adore. Dive into the world of the many faces, an ongoing series of mesmerizing ink paintings on paper. Each piece is a captivating blend of abstract and surreal, always presenting a face that tells its own story. The dedication behind this series is unmatched with new paintings being released every single day and if you're thinking about owning one you're in luck you can start with a four by six original painting for just twenty dollars and if you desire something grander there are larger sizes available with prices to match imagine having an original piece of art infused with emotion and mystery gracing your space so if you're intrigued don't wait Check out the entire collection and get your own at InspireDisorder.com. Own a piece of creativity that will truly stand out. Now let's get back to the show. But as far as the movie in general, there's a lot of things to talk about, right? One aspect I wasn't necessarily expecting was the comedy. There's definitely been comedy in these movies, but it felt like there was a lot more comedy uh you know more than the action and the story this film i think does comedy well because i did enjoy those scenes which a lot of them take place with tom cruise uh and grace uh throughout this which i think usually it's benji is a source of a lot of the comedy in this but uh i think the dynamic between grace uh, played by Haley Atwell and uh, Ethan. I think that was, uh, I think they were a pretty good matchup as far as comedically. She, I think, was kind of a good 
you know, female counterpart to Ethan in a way that was fine. I don't know if it's a memorable character. Uh, they seem to be collecting female characters from previous films in this, and they're in this one as well, which is fine. I mean, they're kind of like associated, you know. But a lot of comedy in this, which I was kind of uh, surprised by. I mean, pleasantly surprised by. Because I noticed, like, there's a lot of comedy going on. But it came in places where it's like, if I'm getting a mix of, like, great action sequences and funny comedy, like, just seeing Tom Cruise being able to do the comedy which he's it's really the situation is like if the, the like there's so many scenes that could be like Mr. Bean but they're being played by Ethan Hunt being played by Tom Cruise so it's it's kind of interesting not as over the top as Mr. Bean would be but like those kinds of like just occurrences regardless i i definitely enjoyed the comedy in this um and of course, as the action in this, and I think action movies in general, becomes more cartoonish and big, uh, I'm glad they're also able to kind of play into the whole absurdity of the situations that they're in, and as well as the tropes of the genre. I think this movie uh, has a lot of references to previous Mission Impossible films, um, but then also... So the, the this movie comments on the franchise itself, but it also comments, I think, on the genre of that it exists in as well. Kind of spy, almost the heist formula, kind of a, a situation, but uh, in a great way. I think I think it's it's a movie where it understand. It's like uh, written by people with the intent that they understand they want people to know like this i mean you, you it, things keep getting more absurd so it's like it's nice to see characters kind of uh go along with that understand that lean into that so i enjoy it the villain in this film is uh, super interesting the the true villain because there's like this thing that is the true antagonist. And then there is a personification in some ways of the villain. There's a character that kind of becomes the villain. But it's not. But that entity that is the villain, the antagonist of this film, very interesting. And they're able to do some very interesting things with that. But it really only happens in the first part of the film. But what they were doing, I was like, this is going to be, this might be the best Mission Impossible movie. So that's where it was starting. But then eventually it turns into kind of just a far more standard kind of villain towards the end. Right? Where there's... I think because the movie was so desperate to have a traditional 
human villain, like somebody that they can fight that is like the head boss kind of guy. But then he's not. I mean, I guess it's in some ways this movie definitely not doesn't set the character up as well as that. But, it, you know, I guess it's like uh, th- to bring Star Wars back to it, Darth Vader. And then there's the guy above him, which I don't remember his name. Uh, so there's like uh, levels to you think Darth Vader is the but in that one, you think Darth Vader is the end all be all. And then you realize that he's only middle management. And then you have in this one. It we just know who the manager is in this movie. We know who the head antagonist is. And it's a very kind of creative antagonist to have. And then we're given the middle manager towards the end, which is kind of a bummer. Because I, if we're going to start with the most interesting thing, you can't pull back and then go to a generic type of middle manager situation like if if they in if darth vader came in halfway through the movie and the first part of the movie was lord palpatine is that his name i i that's why i didn't want to i'm just guessing but the the older guy with the thing he's got the hood and he's kind of running everything like if it was all about him at first in the first star wars movie and then they just brought in Darth Vader at the end as somebody for them to fight against it would Darth Vader wouldn't be epic at all <laughs> you'd be like it would be so sad you'd just be another one of those guys but the way they set it up in this one it's like reversed and it's I don't know it's uh it is what it is it is what it is but it's uh it's an aspect that uh is a shame let's put it that way um so starts off the villain anyway starts off interesting kind of peters off into becomes it becomes personified in a character in a very and continues to be kind of just generic in a lot of ways which is a bummer um because it would have been so epic if they just continued with what was happening at that first part of this movie which takes place at an airport so interesting that whole airport situation i was like this is going to be amazing so many interesting elements that they're introducing in this in this first opening scene which technically there was a sub scene before that but anyway which i'll get more into all that in spoilers but i think if they continued what they were doing and what was happening that was new and continued that throughout it would have added such an interesting dynamic to the movie which i think it does here and there but not to the extent right could have been this could have been my favorite in the franchise and the MacGuffin in this movie in part one is super cheesy (laughs) super cheesy uh and was only a setup for part two and i don't know it just the reasoning to connect these two movies is not satisfying at all what they go through to 
get the thing in this one and what it leads to in the next one is very like that's not like i'm not it's it's far from a cliffhanger it's just like oh it's just incomplete must keep going right it's it's almost if you were to take any of the beats in any of these movies any big action set piece and then they're like yes we completed that thing and then you realize that they but the oh but that's not all that's usually what you see within these movies but to end it that way didn't like it didn't like it but there are of course some great action set pieces as well as uh that you know action set pieces that you've come to expect from this franchise especially with tom cruise trying to push the envelope with his stunts always trying to do bigger and more interesting things i think these there's i think the big advertised marketed stunt is one of the least impressive stunts that they've done in a long time uh not to say that there isn't an amazing stunt in this movie, but it's not the one that they use to promote this movie. Um, and in general, it's not... I mean, technically, it may have been more dangerous, but as far as a spectacle is concerned, I, th- I mean, the first movie with him dropping down being suspended by those two wires was more visually dynamic and and stressful than you know what they used to market this thing that apparently was very dangerous to do but something we've seen before digitally and i don't think the real life version of it added anything to it versus something simple like being suspended in a room where you got to catch your sweat drop before it lands on the pressure sensitive floor. I love this franchise though. Um, but yeah, some decent stunts, some decent stunts, a lot of fun action, a lot of Tom Cruise running. Uh, there are also a bunch of references, like I said, to the first movie and even probably references to other films. And I just haven't seen them all super recently you know i've seen probably a thousand movies in between the last time i've i've seen these movies so there's probably other references but clear references including a character from the first film um some great action scenes uh a lot of use of sleight of hand which is another aspect that was a big thing in the first film with uh ethan hunt doing sleight of hand with the knock list that little disc that he had he was like a mini disc i don't i don't really remember but before thumb tribes existed uh so a lot of sleight of hand which i thought was uh used to a fun and great effect uh along with uh like i said bringing back a character from the first film and probably other references that i didn't even get but there definitely was a lot of references um, but I think this movie could have been definitely been at the top 
if it, if it just had continued the energy and challenges that the team was facing in that airport scene. I think I think if they've continued that throughout more than they did if maybe they did and I just didn't notice, but I thought that the beginning of this movie was amazing. Uh like if that was just a short film, amazing. Best best short film ever. Like that it, just that first opening set piece in the in the airport, amazing. But instead, it turned into something far more generic and less interesting. Uh but still great stunts, you know? Just great stunts, a lot of funny, but the most interesting aspects of the movie go away and we are then introduced into a much more standard type of a villain story but you know like i said kind of felt like more like a fast and the furious movie uh but uh you know it's there, I think there's advantages to leaning into the Fast and the Furious of it all. You know, taking itself less serious, going bigger and goofier, more comedy. I'm okay with that, as long as they don't go full Fast and the Furious. Like, if they're adding it in, still keeping the Mission Impossible kind of edge to it. Because I would say this is, as far as tone, you have... On the spectrum, you have the Bourne franchise, and on the other side, you have Fast and the Furious. And Mission Impossible kind of started out closer to the Bourne and is slowly moving, and it's about midway between the two, but it's definitely leaning Fast and the Furious. But uh, I enjoy it regardless. It's a great mix, one of my favorite action franchises. Um, and, you know, you can't, hit, you can't hit on everything. They had a good run. Last movie, last Mission Impossible movie they did was amazing. One of the best, not my particular favorite, uh, but still one of the best. Many people's favorite movie, which is amazing for a sixth film in a franchise to be the best, uh, d considered the best by many of its fans. The success of Top Gun. So Tom Cruise still hitting it big as a movie star. And then you have this, which I think they were... I I I think they were expecting a home run and you know they got a triple. I don't know, it may have done really well in theaters. I don't really pay attention to that stuff, but uh you know, we'll see. The second film, the next film that comes out can really make or break this film. That's the interesting thing. Let's take a quick break from the show. Listeners, are you ready to take your experience with the Ray Taylor show to the next level? Dive into Inspired Disorder Plus. For just $5 a month, you unlock a world of premium content that's sure to satisfy your every entertainment and artistic craving. Imagine enjoying The Ray Taylor Show, a full week completely ad-free in both audio and video formats. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Get exclusive access to live painting archive. You get to be the first to lay eyes on new releases. From the many faces and enjoy members only discounts and deals that'll have you coming back for more with a treasure trove that includes a podcast back catalog boasting 14 unique shows and over 600 episodes. 
personal insights through Ray Taylor's own blog. That is my personal blog, as well as my creative writing to spark your imagination. And an interactive Ask Me Anything section. Inspired Disorder Plus is a feast for the curious mind. Ready to elevate your entertainment game? Head on over to inspireddisorder.com slash plus and become a member of an exclusive club. Dive in, indulge, and inspire your senses. Now let's get back to the show. But I do want to talk about spoilers, so here is a spoiler warning for anybody that hasn't seen this movie yet. Uh, but spoilers from here on out. If you don't want spoiled, go watch the movie. Come on back. Uh, but you've been warned. Um, so this movie really starts off with this submarine, and we're introduced to what Dead Reckoning is. Dead Reckoning being the, I guess, code name for this new cloaking technology that uses AI to help cloak. And it's the submarine that's like, we were able to go to all of these hotspots and nobody ever detected us. Mission accomplished. And then we see that the sub uh, has some issues <laughs> and people die. So it's like, what happened? Right? And the thing we follow in this movie which I, to go back to the kind of the first scene, interesting, it's like, okay, AI, the idea is that AI is becoming sentient, and the there is a literal key that will somehow unlock a thing for people to access this AI. So the only people who have control of this AI is a key that has two pieces, but a literal key. So it's a bummer. It's a bummer. And, uh, you know, it really should be like a thumb drive. <laughs> you know, it could e easily be a micro SD card. Who knows? I mean, in reality, it would probably be like a micro SD card because it'd be a lot easier to hide and uh, smuggle and move around. I mean, you could tape that to a, a pigeon and have that delivered like the John Wick franchise. But a literal key. So the MacGuffin for this is the key getting both sides of the key, which is the least interesting thing. And then, of course, part two is finding, which they know is in the sub, finding the thing that they need to physically unlock with a physical key that will somehow magically give them access to an AI that's gone sentient. <laughs> so it's like uh, there's a lot of issues with where we end up in between these two movies the whole linchpin between these two movies is probably the most absurd, but the AI itself as the antagonist is by far the most interesting aspect of this movie, right? This sent this AI that's able to accesses everything doesn't change anything. It's just learning, right? Which we kind of know AI 
these language models, they have to be fed information for them to work better. And as they work better, they learn more and they're able to do things better. So we kind of, I think, as a popular, as a culture, for those that are mildly paying attention to AI right now, chat GPT and all that stuff, it, that stuff makes sense that it's teaching itself. And it's able to have access to all of these things. All of technology. So, very interesting villain to have. And then they personify it in a fanatic. Somebody, and, and very religious heavy. And then it becomes a bummer. And then it becomes a generic. It becomes a much worse less interesting action movie. And there is a guy who is a villain that doesn't last long, but when I see him, I'm like, this guy might be the villain. <laughs> like, this might be our ba big bad guy or whatever. And he looks like a cross between Willem Dafoe and Rami Malek. Like, if Willem Dafoe and Rami Malek made a kid and then that kid looked like he was 50 years old, <laughs> that's what this actor... Uh, would be i wonder if i could find it really quick um no it's not not right there but he ends up not being a big of issue but it, an interesting look to the actor stood stood out um but the aspects i like at, like at the in the airport where you know, the Mission Impossible crew is hacking the facial recognition, uh, using deep fake. Like, before we understand the AI is also at play, we have the Mission Impossible crew, and then you have somebody else after them to try and stop them. And another, like, group of people i'm not sure if it's like the government or or what but they're after him to stop him so as they are as like the the government is using facial recognition in the airport to try and spot ethan hunt which of course the mask thing is another running gag in this movie but trying to spot him mi6 is or mission impossible crew is hacking the facial recognition to deep fake people. So it's an interesting use of different technologies in order to make this whole situation happen. Uh, which because of the whole mask thing, another one of the ways in which this movie is referencing itself, referencing the franchise and kind of playing into how ridiculous it is, is with the masks, which this movie starts with a lot of mask work. This franchise is known for the mask thing, which is a fun thing and has been used at times to good effect. But now because it's so known in this universe, you have these government officials like when he's trying to check one of the guys in the airport, if he's wearing a mask and like grabbing at his jaw, sticking his hand in his mouth, trying to see if he can pull it away. A hilarious gag that runs throughout this movie the guy checking people for face masks love that hilarious right great 
And then because there's already because like now the government doesn't know like they can't trust what they see on their displays because they've gotten a bunch of false positives you know other people who are being deep faked as ethan hunt but then you also have on the other side you have the mission impossible crew getting hacked by the ai and you have one of the most interesting situations because of that with people being hacked and being misinformed nobody can trust anything they see including ethan hunt who's wearing these augmented reality glasses and the ai hacked those glasses to where he like hallucinates and he has to take the glasses off to make sure he's seeing what he's seeing and you also see that the ai was basically doing a instead of doing a deep fake they were making the person they were trying to cover up invisible which is this fanatic guy but the airport scene i'm like oh it's gonna if this is the movie where because of the ai they're they can never trust their equipment that's gonna make this movie so interesting but then that's like the last of it. Right. Not being able to trust anything. You know. It would have been super interesting. And part of the airport scene. And part of what the AI was doing. Is seeing how it was splitting people up. Knowing how people. Re pe people in the team would react. But also. Trying to study the team. With the bomb that was in the luggage that benji goes to get and to disarm this bomb he has to answer these questions which are basically like these riddles but the whole intention is for the ai to learn from benji right because he wants to know the type of person he is and all that and as he answers the questions the passcode gets revealed to him uh to turn it off and it ends up being a fake bomb because it was just, it was all a test. Like so much of what happens in that airport thing is the AI learning about this team hacking the Mission Impossible crew. So you're having all, like it is, the airport scene in this is like one of the best hacking wars that have been in any movie. Even the movie Hackers doesn't have as much i think there's actually some fun kind of old school hacking that goes on but the the level of hacking and manipulation that's going on in this airport scene and writing an interesting ai character learning i i enjoyed it i thought it's like this is going to be amazing and again references to the first mission impossible uh him doing sleight of hand with the key uh, like he did with the disc in the first movie. Uh, but we also see Grace doing sleight of hand a ton in this movie. So she's just as talented as that. Picking pockets, all of those things. Um, you also have Kittrich coming back from the first movie, which I thought was pretty great. And then the villain, which it seemed like the villain was going to be the AI. Like learning everything. 
you know, screwing with them, almost making this movie more like a psychological thriller, right? Because of all of the manipulation that the AI is doing, they can't trust anything. They can't trust the reality that they are seeing in many situations. Like a scene where Ethan's trying to catch somebody or trying to run away. I forget which one of the two. And Benji's on his comms giving him directions. Turn right, turn left. Which we've seen many times in other movies. But we find out that the AI is taking over. And Benji's not actually there. Always trying to get him to the fight on the bridge. So there are aspects where it still happens, but not at the level that I was kind of hoping. But if they had, it would have been such an interesting, like just a psychological thriller. Would have, And then with comedic beats within it, would have been great. Would have been great. Of course, we get a bunch of Tom Cruise running through alleyways. On the roof of the airport is one of the big kind of like it's it's it is funny how one of the ingredients in these movies is showing tom cruise running from a really like a helicopter shot or which i'm sure is more drone shots now but like in every movie there has to be this super wide angle showing architecture and seeing tom cruise running booking it across a beautiful piece of architecture in every movie <laughs> which of course has been referenced and, and commented on and made jokes of but it's like i think you know it's at some point it's like how are they going to do it different and to make fun of it which i don't think they make fun of him running um there's just un unashamed of of the uh the running scene which there are multiple and I enjoy seeing. That's how you know you're watching a Mission Impossible movie. It's not a Mission Impossible movie unless Tom Cruise is running. Like, just showing, like, he's running. And then there's a moment where they have to go low-tech to avoid being manipulated by the AI, where they, like, go into, like, this, this room that used to be a control center back when things were, quote-unquote, analog. I think they were still computer, but they just weren't hooked up to any kind of network of any sort right so no way for the ai to connect to it but it's a scene where they show this room and we never go back there again as far as i can think of we never go back to that room it's shown maybe they will maybe we'll see it in the second part <laughs> it becomes like a, a a featured aspect of the second part but feels so out of place in this one because they, they never go back to that. And that was another thing. I was like, ooh, this is going to be interesting. So it's going to be kind of like a battle between new tech and low tech. And, you know, what the AI is able to, <clears throat> you know, uh, get access to. So I don't know. Uh, there's also a use of these, like, gas bombs, which I don't remember from previous films. But they're cool. Make people pass out. And they have these little micro ventilators, which I thought were really cool. It's like little micro ventilator masks they put on so they don't pass out from the gas. Cool design. Uh, I'm sure, you know, 
would would have loved to have one of those through the pandemic. I think that'd be one of the cooler uh, respirators you could wear. Um, then you have the scene uh, where she's escaping. Like, there's a lot of like the character Grace. She's like bouncing back and forth between who her allegiances are to. Clearly, she's like my allegiances are to myself, but so because of that, she's constantly you know either running towards or away from ethan but there is a scene where she's escaping right trying to get away and she steals a cop car and then ethan steals a cop motorcycle uh which has a great chase one of many this like entire set piece of her trying to run away him catching up to her and then them trying to survive together is amazing. Great car chases, a lot of comedy in this as well. But how it starts is there's this scene where she gets hit. She gets like blindsided by another car as she's trying to drive away. And her ears are ringing. The scene takes place inside of the car just after that airbag is popped out. And then you see this action scene take place outside of the car while you're sitting inside of the car. You see, like, from your right side, you see a motorcycle come flying in to, like, knock some people out. So it's like you see in your mind's eye, you see, oh, Ethan Hawke just did the whole wheelie thing that you do with the motorcycle in action movies. And then the wheelied motorcycle flies into a bunch of people. Like, we didn't actually see Ethan Hunt do that. But in our minds, we saw it because we saw the bike come and you know where that bike came from. Then you see like guys on your left getting knocked out, of course, by Ethan Hunt all in slow-mo. And then him busting the, the window in with one of the bad guy's heads and then pulling her out. Kind of this super interesting way to shoot an action scene where it's from one perspective, like a POV shot. I think it was also wide angle, kind of a fisheye shot to change it visually once you're in her perspective in some ways. And seeing the action take place outside of the vehicle you are, but knowing everything that's happening as well. Very interesting. I really enjoyed that little little uh, action moment in this giant set piece. Uh So then you have a standoff with three separate parties now that are after them, right? Kind of everybody. You have people that want to buy it. You have the American government. You have other criminals. You have the MI6 crew. Like, it's a lot of people want this thing. Um, and, of course, they end up getting away, and they're handcuffed now. <clears throat> And they end up in a tiny yellow car, like is a safe car. He has an app that points him to the nearest safe car. And it ends up being this like little tiny Fiat or whatever that has like upgrades to it, which is kind of fun. And uh, because of the way they're handcuffed, like it's either her driving or he has to drive with like his hand crossed over his side hilarious kind of uh continuation of what is this this super long chase scene 
the whole windshield wiper not knowing how to use it. I mean, kind of all the standard gags with a car that you would have. But it's fun seeing Tom Cruise do it. And uh, they get hit while they're in the roundabout, ending up like spinning out. Somehow they end up uh, on the train tracks. And of course, Grace gets out, but she took takes she took the handcuff off of her and put it on the steering wheel because of course both her and uh ethan have uh, magic skills although hers are more than just sleight of hand and pickpocketing put pocketing she can also manipulate handcuffs which you know i think uh yeah i'm sure ethan like appreciated her magic skills i think he respected the magic skills um And then there's another, right, that whole aspect, funny. So now you have, like, this, all of this comedy that's happening during this amazing chase. You also have the funny moment of the guy checking for masks at the airport. So already, like, some funny moments along with the action in this. I appreciate. Like, I, I enjoy that blend. Um, and then we're introduced to Gabriel, the f fanatic right who worships the ai and speaks as though his words are being written in a new bible of some sort right just annoying for people to who speak in quotes of the bible or try to speak as if they are writing some epic book about themselves in some way um so already gabriel is like very unlikable like just that type of person is very unlikable anybody who's like a fundamentalist of anything whether it be uh a an ai entity that's going to take everything down or uh any of the religions you know being a fundamentalist in any of those things or even like some aspects of pop culture uh i think people worship a little bit too much uh some you know famous people artists it's uh it, any kind of worship of anything like that is you it's too much it's too far it never goes good never goes good uh so not a fan of this gabriel guy and then like from here on out <clears throat> in many ways gabriel is the villain he embodies the villain even though this ai thing is far more interesting now we just have some ai freak guy and then you get of course more of ethan running as they escape from gabriel's men and of course him trying to catch grace again and get the key uh, there's a great fight scene in this super narrow alleyway I thought was great, like just very claustrophobic, but like, you know, kind of one of those fights where it's, you know, you're in the phone booth. There's not a whole lot of room to maneuver and you have this great fight scene with Ethan taken off, taken out to uh, two bad guys in this super narrow alley. Pretty great. And then you also have Paris, who is the kind of henchman for Gabriel right the muscle and she is the woman who played mantis uh in the uh in the uh 
Guardians movies. Palm, uh, Clementif. I love her, man. I love her in Guardians. I love her in this. She is like badass in this movie. Uh, I'd love her to see to see her get like her own action movie. I think that would be pretty badass. Um, which I think in general this franchise does a pretty good job uh, at getting kind of villainous women. And even just the trend in a lot of it seems like there's been a few movies I've watched where the like the henchmen for the villain are women. John Wick, four uh, or three, maybe both. There's a few where there's like, I think maybe it was three. Um, great and Ruby Rose. I think that was three. But I like that. I like that trend. There's a great fight on the bridge with Gabriel, uh, where Grace and Ilsa separately fight Gabriel on this bridge, which is, and that's the one where Ethan gets caught up, goes, gets sent in the wrong direction because the AI hacked the, the earbuds or whatever. But it was interesting. Sword fight on the bridge as well, Ilsa. Uh, and he had a knife and uh, of course Ethan showing up too late and Ilsa died and Grace uh, got away um, you know or was taken by Gabriel uh, it was okay it was okay but was kind of like boring because it's like it shouldn't be like if AI is the evil thing Everything else can just be henchmen. It doesn't have to have a Gabriel. But because it's a Gabriel, like it could be something like John Wick where you have the adjudicator, but you have all the other henchmen people trying to kill him. So I just, I don't know, just another example. I didn't like the the Gabriel as the villain, the the kind of the personification of the villain in this uh and then the ilsa dying scene was pretty dramatic and uh really kind of felt drawn out but i don't know maybe i just didn't i had watched the movies where she came in and like knew the bond that she had with ethan but felt like this movie was like allowing the audience to feel the feels of ethan losing this woman but i didn't think they had that much of a connection uh you have grace then being recruited to double as the white widow which the white widow is back as well uh played by vanessa kirby uh and then there's a bunch of exposition on the train kind of explaining the ai and how it was used by the russian sub like kind of explaining the early part of the movie the first very first part of the movie then you have ethan getting on the onto the train which is pretty great right it's the the action sequence that they use to promote the thing where he goes off a ramp but in this it's a cliff um and then he opens the chute and he's trying to land on the train uh wasn't as impressive as i had hoped there's far more impressive action in this but then also, 
it's uh wow this is a long episode um but also the way he crash lands into that train he'd be dead like that was so cartoonish that is so much like wily coyote chasing down the roadrunner but i'm okay with that if this the movie wants to i mean it's definitely heightened but this is like taking that's this is another step they're taking and gabriel just gets off the train and this perfectly timed fall he just falls back like a trust fall off of the train as it goes over a bridge and a tugboat is below it for him to land on and it's like for all three of those things to happen and for him within the chaos that was going on in the train for him to be at a specific door at a specific time he had to be at that very specific door of the train at their that very specific time the train had to have maintained a very specific speed and the tugboat would have had to go under that bridge at that very specific time like that is such a highly coordinated thing for gabriel to get away kind of ridiculous but again i guess if the ai is running it but they're not the AI, the ai didn't have control over all that stuff like the train is just going as fast as it can because they broke it i don't know um then of course the bridge explodes anyway which leads them to a great action sequence where you have ethan and grace kind of barely making it through these train cars as it's slowly getting pulled over the bridge uh you have paris coming from out of nowhere to help at the last moment um you have grace helping ethan escape uh and then chooses to join the imf to erase her past right so she's kind of flip-flopped on who's her alliances have been um and then they have the key and found out from paris before she died that the keyhole is in that sub that was hacked by the AI in the beginning of the movie, right? And this is where it's like, okay, the two-parter, right? The Spider-Verse, the VHS tape, only the first VHS tape from the two VHS tape set, we have the ending. We have just like, we finally got these keys together we're going to learn from this person who is going to be around just long enough to tell us after she helped us out of nowhere well before she was trying to kill us but now she's going to tell us the exact information we need for this ridiculous key and where to go use it but we'll show you that in the next movie so all this movie was was trying to get the key step one and then putting the key in the keyhole step two which the whole issue of you needing a key to unlock the ai to access it just it's stupid it's just so stupid which is a bummer that that is the linchpin that holds these two parts together but i like the idea of the ai being the villain right and it's fanatic i guess to help the ai exceed i just don't like the fact that that the fanatic turned into the big bad um i loved when it was affecting the augmented reality 
and all of their equipment, right? They introduced this analog, quote-unquote, control center, but then I never see them use it. Maybe it'll be in the part two. Uh, there's definitely some great action set pieces, uh, especially the train sequence was amazing. Uh, you have the motorcycle parachute was whatever. N not as, I mean, it's the behind-the-scenes stuff is more impressive than what was in the movie. Uh, but everything else I thought was a lot of fun. Um, you know, you have the, um, him landing inside the train was kind of a, a fun end to that crazy sequence that wasn't very impressive, but, but then climbing through the cars, I think was, you know, th that whole, everything is just keeps going this chase that they are on. Uh, which I, I I appreciated the the momentum this movie had for sure. Um, the car chase and the tiny car was great. Uh, some great fight scenes overall, like the narrow hallway. The fight on the bridge with Gabriel wasn't horrible. You know, it was kind of fun. Um, the action that took place outside of the car while Grace was inside, I thought was a great moment. Uh, there was definitely some great tension, specifically the airport scene I thought was a highlight, probably the best part of the film, where you have equipment malfunctioning, while also them hacking the feed to deepfake the other people. Um, it would have been nice to carry on that kind of question of, like, can we trust our equipment? Are we talking to the people we think we're talking to? Are we seeing the things we are supposed to be seeing? Like, I would have loved the ambiguity of everything to go skyrocket and just for nothing to be trusted and how they figure out how to solve this thing when you can't trust so much. Would have been great. Uh, the whole MacGuffin thing with the key, stupid, although it provided a lot of fun kind of sleight of hand stuff uh, with them. That was cool. But I don't know. The idea of the key is pretty pretty sad. Um, the Gary Burrow character, not fun as far as like the making him overly religious as well. Kind of felt cringy, right? Making prophecies. Yeah. One of the worst, least favorite parts of this movie is the Gabriel character. Uh, but I do love the comedy in this movie. I, I really liked it, right? Involving Ethan rather than just the team or the rest of the team. Also... Uh, the gag of checking people's faces to see if they're wearing masks was a lot of fun. Um, not my least favorite of the franchise, uh, but not even close to my favorite of the franchise either. either. This is a, a mid-Mission Impossible for sure. But I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this absurdly long episode of The Ray Taylor Show. I hope you enjoyed my thoughts on Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Don't forget to tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for more movie and TV show reviews. And join the conversation by leaving a comment or rating on your favorite podcast platform or over on youtube.com slash Disorder. Until next time, enjoy the show. Subscribe to The Ray Taylor Show on YouTube and everywhere podcasts are found. Binge the full week ad-free over at inspireddisorder.com slash plus. Purchase Ray Taylor Show merch over at InspiredDisorder.com. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Peace out. Today is the day where you wake up and you realize that everything that you've been dreaming about, everything that you've been.
been wanting, every goal and wish and hope that you've ever had can become real. Dreams can come true. What you manifest in your mind, you can bring to reality.